Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience in Allen, Texas or at church1132.com. So these four weeks, this is what we're going to do is uh, we're going to talk culture. Now, if you don't know what culture is, we, talk, we use that word a lot, but a lot of us don't even know what that means. Uh, we say, well, this, that, that's just what our culture is. That's what our culture says. But what is culture? Culture is not a strategy. Culture is not a vision. Culture is really, everybody has a culture. Culture is really what we feel or what we sense when we're around you. When you come into our church, you sense, whether good or bad, our culture. A culture is a combination of what we create and what we allow, which means that culture is something that, you, you, that happens by design or by default. We talked about this, home is what you make in our family series. Your home is what you make it. And it happens either by design or by default, by allowing things to happen or by creating positive rhythms of change and creating things to happen. Well, the culture of our church is exactly the same way. If we just allowed our church to be, it, we would have a product. But we have to, by vision and by design, create the culture that we want to have and the culture that we want to see. So when we're talking about the culture, this is how I look at it as a pastor. I'm thinking and praying through, what do we want a fully devoted believer of Jesus Christ to look like? What do we want the end product? Because we have programs and we have groups and we've got connect classes. We've got all these different things. But what is the goal? What are we aiming towards? What are we moving towards? And it's important for you to know that as well as me to know that and as well as our staff to know that. we got to know what are we trying to build at Church 1132? What kind of believer? Because it's important to know what you are, because if you don't know what you are or who you are, you will try to be everything. And when you try to be everything, you will dilute your own vision and your own identity. And this is what I see a lot of churches struggling with, and I've went to, for help to a lot of pastors, because I'm just going to tell you, when you're, when you're leading a church, you hear a lot of feedback it's amazing. You ever heard, you ever heard this, uh, everyone has an opinion? Or opinions are like trash cans. Everyone has them and they all stink. Yeah. Um, everybody's got an opinion. You should preach longer, Pastor. You should preach shorter, Pastor. The worship should be longer, Pastor. The worship should be shorter, Pastor. Pastor, the worship should be older songs. Pastor, the worship should be our songs. Pastor, the worship should be newer songs. Pastor, the worship should be songs I hear on the radio. Everybody has an opinion. Because everybody responds to God differently, and everybody has a different DNA. Did you know that your perspective of God is created by your own paradigm? What you have gr grown up in, or what you've experienced. That's why when somebody talks back in church, for some of you that grown up in a quiet church, you, you're like, what did they just do? Like, how disrespectful. But then for some of you who grew up in a church like that, like you grew up in like a Pentecostal church. Not a Pentecostal, like a Pentecostal. You know, like, let's just say how it is, Pentecostal. Ugh. You had the extra synonym that you know, you know, like, so you came in here and you're like, oh, wow, this is like, man, these, these guys are calm. But it's all created by what you've been in by what you've been exposed in. So at Church 1132, we can't just say, we're just going to try to be. We've got to know what we're trying to be. 
We've got to know the type of believer that we're attempting to disciple and that we're attempting to duplicate in our people. And so when we talk about culture, the next four weeks we're going to talk about a different element of our culture that we really want to see replicated or duplicated in our people. And so tonight uh, we're going to talk about a passionate culture. A passionate culture. I want to start with this one because we're going to have some fun with it because I get this all the time. I mean, I get this all of the time. Pastor, you are so energetic. You're so energetic. You're, how do you have that much energy? And I, I'll say a couple things to that. One is uh, I hate boring speakers. I just like... Some people think that they have the gift of teaching, and then you should have the gift of listening. I think if you have the gift of teaching, I should want to listen. That's just my own personal opinion, okay? That's not in the Bible. That's my own doctrine over here. Um, like, if, if you've got something worth saying, help me hear you. And, and so, so that's part of it. The other part of it is I think that there is an anointing side of this. That the anointing is God's super on our natural. We use the anointing and throw it around a lot, but it's a, it's a spiritual word for just God's supernatural power on our natural abilities. And I think when you combine the two, there's some combustion. There's some unction. And so people say a lot of times, well, that church is a young church. People say that about our church. Now let me just talk about that because this is deeper, so I can just tell you all. I mean, it's like... Um, I know you all are friends and nobody's going to be emailing me or anything. I just I know that. When, I tell, when people tell me it's a young church, this is what I tell people. I say, the reason you think it's a young church is because your paradigm is the sad state of the American church right now, which is all the adults and there is no young people. The fact that there is a presence of young people makes you want to label it as a young church, and it's not true. There's a lot of people over 40 in this room. There's a lot of people over 50 in this room. There's a lot of people over 60 in this room. This is not a young church. There is just a presence of young people. So what we should be saying is other churches that are not a young church are an old church. But nobody says that, right? I mean, you ever went to a church and be like, oh, wow, this is, this is neat what you guys have here. You have an old church. Nobody says that. And if a young person were to go into that church and say that, they would be judged. But everybody else has permission to come into the young church and point their fingers at the young people and say, this is a young church. See, it's just our paradigm. It, it, it's really not accurate uh, because we just have a false impression of what church should be because we grew up with all the grandparents around the altar uh, praying and speaking in the Holy Ghost and the kids didn't get interested. And because there was no presence of young people, and this was a tragedy about 30 years ago. This went around the church world, and they said, we don't know how to reach young people. And this is where the focus and emphasis became, began to be on student ministry, and there began to be student ministries and youth pastors and youth groups and all of this because there was an absence of it. So now when there's a presence of it, it's specifically, and I'll mention this, specifically in a Sunday morning expression, people think it's weird. Because a lot of our churches today have young people at the youth event, but they're not bought into the vision of the church. So what some people say is like, I don't know, that, that church is a bunch of young people. I say, thank God that our young people love the same service that their parents do. That's called a generational pipeline. 
That's called unity. That's really, I think, the picture of the church. So we got to be careful about the labels that we throw around because the labels we, we are throwing around are because of our own paradigm or what we've grown up in or what we've seen as possible. Culture is more powerful than vision. Culture trumps vision every time. And I used to say that a lot, but now since our recent election, I can't really use that word anymore. Every time I say that, I cringe in church because I'm scared someone's going to throw something at me. But um, you could say, you could, culture, you could say something else in there. But culture is more powerful than vision because vision is something I project. Culture is something I am. So when we say who we are, what our culture is, it's not something that's like, we want this believer to be this. Culture is really who we are. So we can say we have a vision for a friendly church, but our culture could be not friendly. Because that's who we are. So we have to project who we are. We have to work on who we are. So I want to talk about this passionate culture. Uh, I really believe that there has been in the American church, and I'm not trying to judge any, any type of church. I'm trying to state facts uh, as they are. As I study church, church growth, church trends, uh, the church uh, over, over the history books, it's, it's interesting. There's really been a, been a pacifying of the church because a lot of people are very surprised to have a vocal, passionate expression of the church. They're like, oh my gosh, like it's very passionate in there. It's expressive in there. It was hard, you're hard pressed to find a church that wasn't if you go back far enough. But over time, the desire to please people and the really, if I can say it bluntly, the weakness of leadership caused there to be a softening or a pacifying of the church expression because if you didn't have strong leadership, you would have all kinds of cra- How many of y'all grew up Pentecostal? Let me just see your hands. Grew up Pentecostal. Y'all see any crazy stuff? Okay. Some, yeah, real, yes. I grew up Pentecostal. And I could tell you stories for the rest of, I could tell you stories for the next four weeks about crazy things that I have seen. And you know what? If there wasn't strong leadership, what happened is that the people that were seeking Jesus stopped coming. And it was just the same people around the altar doing the same things. And we lost our missional outreach. So then there was a squashing of the Pentecostal movement, and there was a squashing of the expression in the church to try to make it more applicable or or more soft for the unbeliever. But in doing that, we lost the expression. So I really believe that God is resurrecting a passionate church, and it's not either or, it's both and. I really believe that we can be passionate and expressive, but still allow the unbeliever to come in and experience God. I don't think that we have to have 53-minute services, and that we have to explain every little thing, and be careful not to offend every single person to try to reach the lost. We're seeing a lot of people saved right now. Like a lot of people saved right now. And we have a very expressive church. But I will say this, this is the importance of teaching this. You need to know why we're passionate. Because I've heard some people say, oh, well, there's just a lot of energy or there's a lot of hype. Or I'm going to tell you, I hate hype. Hype is put on energy. You know what Paul said? Paul said in the New Testament, he said, this is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. I have about 300, so don't judge me. He he says, I struggle with all God's energy, which works so powerfully in me. 
He says, the energy of God is in me at such a rate that I'm struggling to keep control because I'm so energetic. I'm so passionate. See, I, I think that sometimes there's tr- the, the, the tendency is like, let's just be hyped up. But if you're hyped up without a purpose, that is all it is. It is hype. And it's empty. And it's shallow. I'm not talking about a hype culture. I'm talking about a passion culture. I'm talking about a culture that understands really why we're passionate. Why is Pastor Dustin energetic? I want you to know why. I don't want you to say it's because I'm energetic. Because really I'm not. I mean, after this I'm going to go find a dark room by myself, sit in my chair and read. Or tomorrow night I'm going to watch the NBA Finals and sit back and, and relax and not be energetic. But when I'm preaching the gospel... And I'm talking about these things. I am energetic because I would like to say, like Paul, I struggle with his energy, which works so powerfully in me. So this is something that we teach in our church. In a passionate culture, it is adoration over obligation. So a lot of times in church, your have to, your want to can change into a have to. You ever seen that happen? We have to go to church. We have to go to worship. We have to. Maybe some of you felt like that tonight. We have to go to deeper. Well, that have to is robbing you from the substance of your worship. And anything that we do should be out of adoration, not obligation. When we're passionate, it is not out of obligation. Everybody be passionate. Lift your voice. Clap your hands. Do you know why we clap our hands? Do you know why we lift our voice? Do you know why we say amen? Do you know why? Well, sometimes the speaker gets discouraged, and we can say amen, and it encourages them. That's not the reason why. (laughs) I mean, I like it, but it's not the reason why. And it does encourage the speaker, but that's not the reason. That's not the reason we, come on, you can do it. Get through it, Pastor. Yay, come on. Like, I should be able to get through it without someone amening me. I will say it does make me feel a lot better when people amen me, all right? I'm just going to, that was your cue. That was your cue, yeah. Some of you missed it. Uh, Adoration over obligation. So you need to check yourself in just understanding, why do I worship? I worship because I love Jesus. My worship is a response to him. He saved me from hell. He saved me from my empty life. He saved me out of. And you start remembering everything that he saved you out of. And what it does is it will energize you in your worship. Because now your worship is a response. And it's adoration to God. Saying, Lord, Lord, we love you. Lord, we honor you. Thank you. Thank you. That adoration is where we have to stay positionally to keep our passion purposeful. Every time your adoration slips to obligation, this becomes religious. You ever, you ever been at a service or ever been in a church or a gathering? I'm sure we all have, where you felt like this is just what we do. I was actually in, in study for this. I was, I was watching a lot of other messages in churches that I don't usually like tune in on and uh, around the Metroplex. And so I was tuning in on some of these. And, and then I, I said to myself, we are an energetic church. I said what you say. I was like, oh, we are kind of energetic. <laughs> I mean, if you put them side by side, it's like, um, after I woke up, I realized that, I'm joking, I'm joking. That's too, that's terrible. That's terrible. This is deeper. You got to give me a little grace, okay? Um, it, 
when I speak on at the nights, I'm just a little bit, uh, I just, in the mornings, I'm way more well-behaved, okay? So you're going to have to forgive me. Let, let me just give you some elements of a passionate culture. From the position of adoration over obligation, let me just give you some elements. And some of these you're going to balk at at first, but I'm going to explain them, okay? So the first one, an element of a passionate culture is a vocal culture. Is a vocal culture. This is, I, we probably get more questions about this than any other thing, is why do people say amen? Why do people talk back? And I'm just, I want to just give you some Bible on why we do what we do. Don't you think that the, the, the picture of the church that we should emulate is the one that would be set forth biblically, not culturally? Is everybody okay with that? Because I think if, it, if they say it in the Bible, then the Old Testament was actually the pattern of worship for the New Testament. In the New Testament, they didn't have the New Testament. In the New Testament, they used the Old Testament as their pattern of worship. It, they wrote the New Testament. Everybody tracking? So the Old Testament was their pattern of worship. So we can actually look at the Old Testament and see how the New Testament got their diagram of how they worship or how they honor or how they revere the Lord. Uh, I was I was preaching at a, um, a I was preaching at a Lutheran school chapel one time, and um, it was awesome. I love this school. I did the, I do a lot of different chapels, and and I love going to this chapel every time. The kids are just they're amazing. They love Jesus uh, with all their hearts. But I will say this: you can hear a pin drop at any time in that auditorium. So there'll be four hundred kids in there, and no one says a peep, and. And that, that's okay. That's just, that's their paradigm. That's how they probably got in trouble if they talk. And so I brought, I made the mistake of bringing some very passionate interns with me. And I, I mean, I read my first scripture and they're like, yeah, that's good. Yeah, amen. Huh. You know, and the entire student body <laughs> looks at them. And I'm like, guys, God, turn it down. Blend. Like, this is not home. Because their paradigm was different than what ours was. And so not, I'm not saying one is right or what is wrong. I'm just telling you what our culture is. Because this is what's important. Because I need you to hear this as I, as I unpack this. Is I'm not telling you what the right church should do. I'm telling you what my definition of what our church should do. And that's a huge difference because I, I know some of the greatest people in this city will go to churches that are totally different than ours. And they love Jesus. They're leading people to Jesus. They walk in the power of God. They're phenomenal. So you don't, cannot judge a believer by the church that they go to. Okay, that's just, that's just unfair. We judge people by their fruit, the Bible says. And so we're telling you these deeper nights are about the culture of Church 1132. Not the culture, we're just drawing a line in the sound, of the body of Christ. So vocal culture. Let's just talk, let's just talk about singing for a second. Psalm 66 Verse 1 to 2. Uh, we, we, I've had some I've had people ask me, why do we sing so many songs? Why does all these churches sing songs? Because the Bible says to sing songs. I, I mean, that's, that's why. Psalm 66, verse 1 and 2. Some of you are going to really like the first word in this. says, shout. Is that a suggestion? I just, I, I just want you to help me tonight. Is that a suggestion? No, it says shout. Well, Pastor, I don't really like to use my, I'm more of a shy personality. I'm going to tell you something. Everybody responds to God differently. Everybody. My wife responds to God better sitting down, not talking, no music, 
in silence, and she hears God, and she responds to God. I need music blaring, and I'm pacing. I got the Pentecostal pace going, and I, I can hear God that way. Okay, that's me. We're totally different. So this is not how you hear God individually, but this is a corporate, this is a corporate response to God. Shout for joy to God. You ever wonder, like, why are people shouting in church? That's, that's why. That's where it came from. All the earth. First two, sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. So this psalmist, this was the instructions of the, that the early church used in how they should worship God. They didn't have the New Testament, right? So they went to the Psalms and they found out how to worship God. And they found out that we worship him with shouting and we worship him with singing. Now, I don't know if you've ever sat behind some of the passionate people that we have in this church. But there's a couple people, if, you're, if they're sitting behind you, you hear their shout and almost feel the wind of their shout as they're shouting. I mean, I swear I was in worship the other day, and, and, and one of these young men let out a yell, and I'm like, dear Lord, like, do we need to call security, or like, do I need to lay hands on you and cast that out, or like, what, what is happening? So I, I understand that, that, that we need to have some boundaries um, on, on, on how we shout and, and, and how we sing, but I, I will say this, it's biblical for us to lift up a shout and to sing to the Lord. In Psalm 98, uh, verse 5 and 6, I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures. It says, shout for joy. Shout again. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Some people say, well, we just like those slow songs. I don't like it when they're dancing all around that stage and it's so upbeat. Burst into, I've never been able to burst into a slow song. I just, it's just like... It doesn't work for me too well, but anyways, burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with a harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of a... You ever heard a quiet blast? Just help me tonight. I'm just trying to read the scripture. You ever heard a quiet blast? No? Okay. Um, so, the, so some people say, well, man, the, the volume is loud. Have y'all, y'all pay money to go to concerts, right? You ever went to one of those concerts that you love and you dance the night away and I see all over your Instagram stories and Facebook and it was quiet? Ever? Ever. No, thank you very much. Because the quality of, of the sound and the worship is in a certain degree of volume. I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you a real honest story. Uh, I got a letter from a doctor um, in our, in our church that actually wrote a letter. He's a, he is a doctor, and he wrote a letter, and he had brought his own decibel reader into our service, and he was measuring how loud the, the, the service was. And he wrote me a letter about his concern that we were damaging eardrums. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. It freaked me out. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I went to my, my Ryan, my brother. I'm like, director of media. I'm like, bro, look at this, man. We're, we're hurting people. This is bad. <laughs> And he's like, what kind of decibel reader did he use? I'm like, I don't know, man, but look at this. I mean, this is, whoa, we're in trouble, lawsuits. And, um, and so uh, it, I, I found out that some of the free apps that you download in the middle of service, they're not quite accurate. The, the decibel reader that he has is accurate. So we were actually in where we needed to be. But this is, some people have real problems, like with volume. So that's why we provided earplugs for people, because I'm going to tell you why we did that. One, we care about people. 
right? Because some people, some people say it hurts their ears. We care about people. We don't want it. But we're also saying something else. We're not going to change. So this is important with culture. Is you, you have to create or you have to design where you're going. So it's important for us to accommodate people, to teach people, to instruct people, to help people with concerns, with pains, or different things. But it's also important to not change every time we get an email because if we did that, we would change every single Sunday. Every single Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it would be something new. Different name, different building design, different color. I mean, just you name it. Volume is not a gauge of spirituality. Lack of or excess. But volume personally is a gauge of desperation. Now, I want to just hone in on this because if you get desperate enough, you will lift your voice. If there is an emergency, you will lift your voice. If, if there is a dire situation, you, even shy people, if the crisis is bad enough, will use their voice. So I'm not telling you when you come into worship you need to be in crisis mode and start screaming around the place. But I am just showing you that my, if, I, if I'm loud, that does not make me a spiritual person. Or if someone is praying loudly up here, that does not mean they're spiritual. If someone worships louder than you or responds to God different than you, that does not mean they're more spiritual than you. That just means they're louder than you. That's it. But it does show volume is a gauge of desperation. And when I get desperate for God, there is a volume that comes from my worship and comes from my, li from my life. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 says this. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up... This is Jesus, by the way. New Testament, Jesus. He offered up prayers and petitions. And how did he pray? With fervent cries and tears. That is how Jesus' prayers were marked by. With fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. If Jesus' prayer life was marked by fervent cries, I want my prayer life to be marked by fervent cries. Now, it doesn't mean that you respond to God the same way I do. Like Jamie and I, we respond totally different from different things. But it does mean that you've got to find that place of fervent prayer. If you're going to go deeper with God, you have to find the place of fervent prayer that you're able to lift your voice to your God and cry out to him because that's how Jesus was characterized, and we want to be like Jesus. Christians means little Christ or a little Jesus follower. So what he was, I want to be in this world. A, a passionate culture is vocal, and it's expressive. A passionate culture has a sound, but a passionate culture also has a look. Now, I want, I want to explain this. Like I said, some of it you'd be kind of like step back at, but I want to explain this. Uh, I, I remember one time I was, um, there, you know, some cultures are just, just wild, but I was in a service, uh, a great Pentecostal service, and I was getting prayed for, and so I got called out of the crowd, you know, like, come forward for prayer. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, you know, my heart's beating. What's going to happen? And, and um, you know, surely he must see the anointing on my life. And, and uh, so he comes forward. He says, kneel down. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is getting serious. And so I knelt down, and I'm just before the Lord, eyes closed. I'm focused in, and I feel this warm sensation. I'm like, wow, I guess I'm, like, really sensing the presence of God coming down my head, down my eyes, my mouth. And I'm like, well, I can taste. Wait, What? Opened my eyes, and he had anointed me with oil. Not like a, not like a dab. Like a, like a pour. 
and I just had a brand new sweater that I bought with my own money. And I was trying to stay focused in the moment, like on Jesus, but I'm like, how dare you ruin my sweater? I just bought this today for this church service. Poured it down, stained, it was ruined forever. It was, it was ruined, and poured it down. So I understand that some expression can be a lot, a lot to handle, but I do believe in having an expressive culture. What I mean by that is sometimes we'll lift our hands in worship. You know, for some people, and there's a guy that I've been working with in the church for a long time, and he's grown so much. I'm so proud of him and his wife, his family. They're just serving the Lord. But when he first came to this church, he was like, I will never lift my hands in worship. And I said, well, brother, I, I think you should just try, maybe just by, like, opening your hands, like, just a little bit, like, just, like, opening your heart. And so a lot of people ask, like, why do we lift our hands? Why do we do that? And so I want to give you some things. In Psalm 63... Verse 3 and 4, it says, because your love, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name, I will lift up my hands. Right there in Psalm 63. Why? Because in your name, I will lift up my hands. In, in the sanctuary of my God. I will lift up my hands. Psalm 134, verse 1 and 2, it says, Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Lifting our hands is an expression of praise and worship and reverence to God. Did everybody see that in there? It's, it's really clear. This is our expression. So it's like, well, I came from a church that you never lift your hands. That's okay. We all came from different backgrounds. I'm just telling you what's in the book of Psalms and what I really believe is a part of our culture. Now, am I going to be upset if somebody doesn't lift their hands in worship? No, not at all. There's a lot of people in our church like, I will never. You know, this is my worship pose is this. And this means I am totally pumped about the things of God. And I have the joy of the Lord. I can tell, brother. I can tell. Um. But I will say, you should, if we're at deeper, you should stretch yourself to take your worship to another level because a passionate culture is a vocal culture, but it's also an expressive culture, which means I have the freedom to express my praise to God, to lift up my voice, to lift up my hands, and to praise God. See, so if, if you walk in on this and don't know this, this looks weird. Although it's not weird to go to a concert and everybody's like, hey, it's like, that's not weird. But when we come in the house of God and we have reverence for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and we surrender, that looks weird. See, culturally gets in the way of biblically a lot. We, we've got we've to create a, a counterculture movement that is a biblical culture so that we really understand why we do. This is why we're doing these deeper nights, so you know why we do these things. Like, why are you lifting your hands? I don't know. This is what we do. This is Church 1132. Rhymed. Like, that's, that's not, that, I don't want that. We want to we produce a believer, a disciple that says, I lift my hands because I'm so grateful for everything that God's done for me. I, it's a sign of surrender to me, to everything that he wants to do in and through my life. Why do we clap our hands? Honestly, I'm gonna be, I'll be transparent with you. I don't like clapping. I don't like it when we clap on songs. I don't like it when we clap afterwards. Because sometimes I'm like, why are we doing this? It is the church filler. 
Now, if now when I say this, you're going to see this all the time. It's the filler. If you don't want to have awkward silence, have everybody, hey, let's put our hands together. All right, good. Right? I mean, how many times have you seen this? Oh, so-and-so. Uh, let's clap our hands. But why do we clap our hands? Clapping your hands is an expression of praise. This is an expression of praise. Psalm 47.1 says, clap your hands. All you nations shout. The shouting's in there a lot. I mean, it's just... It's offensive. Um, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Why do we shout? Why do we clap our hands? Why do we sing? Because the psalmist declares this is what worship is. This is how we worship. Expression must come out of passion for God and not hype about God. This is why teaching is important. Because if you're not careful, a passionate culture can be a hype culture. And everybody's just hyped. The light's going, fog going, like, hey, I'm hyped. Are you hyped? Yeah, why are we hyped? I don't know. We're just hyped. He's like, we need a reason why. Otherwise, what are we, what are we doing? What's, what's different than just a regular concert and our worship service if we don't have a purpose behind the passion? And behind, why do you clap your hands? It, because the Bible says to clap your hands and give praise to God. That's why I clap my hands. Psalm 95, verse 1 and 2 says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock. Oh, boy. There it is again. Shout aloud. For some of you are liking, some of you are saying, well, I shout in my spirit. <laughs> this one got you. The psalmist was like, I'm not going to let these guys get away with this. Shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. I want to just show you one thing here, and then we're going to move into the third one, and we're going to begin to wind down. I want to show you this because this is really important. That word thanksgiving in the Hebrew is a word called tada. The, or in the, in, in the, yeah, in the Hebrew is, is a word called tada. That word actually means to come before God with hands open in reverence. It's, the word actually has, a, a lot of the Hebrew and Greek languages have pictures that are associated with the words to help you understand. It's a very visual language, specifically the Hebrew. And the Hebrew, the picture is someone coming with their hands lifted. So when the psalmist says in the scripture, he says, let us come before him with thanksgiving. The picture is someone coming before God with their hands up with reverence. To me, what that is, is that's an expression. I don't feel comfortable. That's all right. You don't have to feel comfortable, but you do need to know the teaching behind why we do that. Otherwise, we're just a hype church. We just, ah, we just, but why? Because we're in love with Jesus, and because we believe in authenticity, and we believe if something's going on the inside, it should show on the outside. I'm, I'm like leaping on the inside with joy for Jesus, but on the outside, I look like Monday. Like, if, if I'm excited on the inside, it should show on the outside. That, my friend, is authenticity. And there's no more hypocrisy than in the church on Sundays. Because we sing things we don't mean. There's a great theologian back in the day. He said, Christians don't tell lies. They sing them. And that's, that's, that's the truth. You know, like, you're all I want. Like, really? Is he? It's like, I, for how long? About as long as that song goes by. I mean, it just, we, we say these things. But when we're in a passionate culture, we're a vocal culture. We're an expressive 
culture, lifting hands is a sign of surrender and it's a declaration of God's holiness. It's those two things. When people ask you, why do you lift your hands? It's a sign of surrender to God and it was also a declaration of God's holiness. It was reverence to God. Some people say quietness is reverent, which there's a, that's, there's a lot of truth to that, just being quiet, a moment of silence, or being reverent. Do you know what the Bible in the Psalms puts out as a reverent posture? Your hands lifted. I'm not trying to get you to lift your hands. I'm just trying to get, some, get you to have some understanding behind what you see on Sunday. The third one, and this is the last one we'll close, is a responsive culture. A, a passionate culture is responsive culture. A passionate culture has a feel. It has a sound, it has a look, and it has a feel. The feel is we're not just trying to give people a lot of information so they can walk away with information. We really believe in life change. We want you to be better next month than you were last month. We want your family to be better next year than it was last year. We want to see, but the only way that happens is for us to be a responsive culture. I don't get up here and preach like just to say we did it. I don't prepare messages and study and pray and put things together, put hours and hours into talks, into messages so that we can say we had church. I'm doing it so that you have the opportunity to respond to the word. James says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer, a doer, a responder. So I'm listening, but then I'm responding. That's what passionate cultures do, is they respond to the word of God. So so some people say, well, why do people say amen? Why do people say amen? Years ago, you'd be hard-pressed to be in any church where people did not say vocally amen. But over years of that kind of makes people feel uncomfortable, we have totally silenced the church. Now young people are coming to the church and they're saying, wow, somebody said amen, and that's a shock to them. All that shows is we've come a long ways from our roots. If you go way back, you'll find it. you go, you got to go way back, but if you go way back, you will find it. And amen meant this. It's, it means so be it unto me. So when you would hear truth, In the churches, back in the day, you would say amen. And what you're saying is, let that be unto me. It it was your acceptance of what was being said. In in the book of Deuteronomy, this is is interesting. The book of Deuteronomy, God is pronouncing some curses to the people of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 27. and, and, And he commands the people, he commands them to say amen after every one. And so God would say something, and the, and the Israelites would say, amen. He would say something, and it wasn't even good things. It was like judgment, and they would say, amen, because he commanded them to do so. And it was threefold. This is why we say amen. This is why we talk back in services. This is why we do this. The first thing is when they said amen, it was their understanding of what was being said. It was saying, God, we understand what you're asking of us. Amen. Amen. And it was said vocally. If you didn't say it vocally, the speaker would take it as you were not receiving it. Which is really interesting to me because in, our, in different environments that we teach in, our staff culture or our intern culture, I always know the people that are not receiving because they're not responding. Anybody, any teachers in here? You know the students that are not responding, right? They're not learning. They've tuned you out. Why? Because they've stopped responding. That you've lost eye contact or you've lost posture or you've lost vocal affirmation. 
so you know that you don't have them. So when, when we say amen, it is an agreement and it is an understanding of what is being said. So God is good. Amen. It is I'm understanding that he is good. The second reason was their belief that God meant what he said. How powerful is that? It was not just the understanding of what was being said. It was that God meant what he said. And the third one was they accepted or they agreed with what was being said. So not only did they understand it, not only did they believe that God would do it, but they also said, we accept this. So, man, God's going to do great things in your life. Amen. There should be in your spirit something that rises up that says yes. And when you say yes, we, what we've done in our culture now is just, we, we've said you don't have to actually say amen because amen got churchy. So now people are saying like, yes. Or if you try to love it, you say strong. <laughs> right? So, funny story. My sister-in-law came to a service. She hadn't been around our culture or anything. She came to a service and, and um, we were in the freshman center still and this building was being built and, and she was sitting in the front row and Charlie was sitting right behind her. And, and uh, so he, you know, he did, did what he does and strong and he did about two or three times. And after service, we were at lunch and, and uh, she said, Hey, I got a question. And I said, yeah, what's up? Like, does that distract you when that guy yells out wrong? <laughs> she thought literally he was like, Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> I'm like, no, he was saying strong. It doesn't matter what you say, but that vocal affirmation, when I hear Charlie say that, I know he understands, he's believing it, he's with me, and he's internalizing it. It is just coming in agreement with what's being said. It is like, can you imagine like a football rally, like before a game, you're all in the huddles, a football team, you're all in there, and they're doing their chants and their cheers, and there's just one player that's just standing there like this. And all the team's like, come on, we're a team, let's go, hey, we're uh, and, and they're chanting, and you know, they're doing the jump thing, the NBA jump thing, and one guy's just like, like, are you part of the team or what? Like, are you a part? Their participation shows something. I'm with you. We're in unity. You know, you ever seen sportcasters make a huge deal about a person not being involved in the team? Somebody walks off. Someone takes their shoes off early. Somebody, because what they're expressing is that they're not connected to the team. But the unity of saying things, of worshiping, of expression, of response to God is something that solidifies unity. And this is what's really interesting. The Bible says that when they are all together in one accord, in the, up, the unity of them being one in together is when the Holy Spirit came and ministered to them. It was them together after one thing with one purpose. 1 Corinthians 14, and i got to move quickly here. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, verse 15. If we got somebody that come to the keys, that would be awesome. Once someone comes to the piano, you always start to wind down. You ever notice that? If you ever got a preacher that's preaching too long, just send someone to the piano. It's like, it's, it's the cue. This is no joke. When we have guest speakers, I tell them, like, at a certain point, I'm sitting up the keys. So just be done. Because sometimes people just preach all day. I mean, it's just like, what? So I just like, get the keyboard up there. Let's go. Um, and I do it to myself, too. First Corinthians chapter 14. This is a scripture talking about church conduct, and it's speaking about tongues and tongues and interpretation, the right order of things. And it has this little part in here that I want to show you. It says, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15, it says, So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, talking about praying in tongues, but I will also pray with my understanding, praying in English. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. 
Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say, 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 amen to your thanksgiving so, since they do not know what you are saying. So this is Paul writing to the church of Corinth and he's talking about when you just run around speaking in tongues everywhere, people are confused. So we need to have decency and, and, and order. We need to have interpreters or the scripture goes on to say that when you pray in tongues, you need to speak to yourself and to God. Because if there are lost people and you're just shouting out in tongues, it will confuse people. This is why we believe in praying in tongues. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We also have order because we want to make sure that when unbelievers come in, that they are not put off, according to 1 Corinthians 14, by something that they do not understand. So this, this as Paul writes this, he says, we're going to pray in a language that people understand. We're going to sing in a language corporately, not privately, corporately, that people understand. Because if we don't do it in English, how can they say amen? And what's hidden in here? is a power that Paul is pointing to of agreement. He said there's, there's something powerful about an unbeliever coming in and hearing truth and then saying amen. Because when they said amen, when they had vocal agreement, it was them accepting that truth into their own life and into their own heart. And so he said don't go run around spouting in tongues because they can't say amen to that. Let them say something in English. And then the next verse Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. So he is by no means saying, do not speak in tongues. He says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. FYI, we're not talking about that tonight, but if you come from any type of movement, Paul said, you can read it. It says, do not forbid. And to strongly persuade people not to is the same as forbidding. And we have a lot of that going on. It's, it's, it's heresy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. He says, I speak in tongues more than all of you, but when I am with you, he said, I would rather say five intelligible words than 10,000 unintelligible. And why is he saying that? He said, so that people can say amen. So that people can agree. And when they agree, there is power. The Bible says we're two or three are together. He is there in the midst. It talks about two or three agreeing on anything and it will be done. There's a power of agreement. Why are we so picky about our culture? Because there's a power in us moving together. There's a power in us being focused on the same thing. There's a power in us running after the same thing. This is not just, this is not just scripture. We got to have it this way. This is our culture. But we believe this is our blueprint from heaven. We believe this is our blueprint from God. And we have to be true to who we are. And we got to be true to our interpretation of what these scriptures says, which means we're a passionate church. We're an expressive church. We're a responsive church. Why are you clapping your hands? Because we believe and we agree and we praise God and we live. Why are you lifting your voice? Because you believe and you agree. This is not hype. This is unity. This is direction. This is passion. This is the church. This is not a rally. This is us coming behind a common purpose and a common goal. This is us saying, yes, we believe. This is not saying, pastor, good job. This is saying we believe in the truth coming out of your mouth. We stand with you. We respond with you. That's what some people think. Oh, let's clap for pastor. He said a good thing. That's not why we're clapping. 
I would be really afraid, honestly, if that's, because I'm like, I respect God and lightning. You know, it's just like, let's not do that. I remember the King Nebuchadnezzar. You remember this story? When he said, like, look at this great city I have built, and God struck him right there, and he became like, he started like grazing out in the wilderness. The Old Testament's weird. It's weird. It's like God had a bad day. Oh, let me, let me give you this, and we're going to close, and we're just going to respond to the Lord. It's one of my favorite, favorite, I say this a lot, one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. One of the first messages I ever preached in my life was out of this text in Mark. And it's a story of a woman uh, with the issue of blood. You've probably heard this story before. She was suffering for 12 years. She was, theologians believe, a very wealthy woman. And she had this issue, uh, a, a feminine issue, that there was just a consistent blood flow from her. And she spent her entire wealth, her entire fortune, with doctors trying to get better, trying, trying, trying to just find an answer. And she could not find one. So 12 years into this, in complete desperation, she is sitting by the side of the road, and Jesus is coming by on his way to heal someone else. I want you to see this. He was not coming to her. He was coming to Jairus' daughter. That's who he was going towards. He went with Jairus. I'll go right to your house. I'm going to raise this. But the Bible says that there was all kinds of people crowded around Jesus. Jesus walking. There's just crowds just all around him. His disciples and people thronging around. They wanted to see the miracle. So there's people all around him, all up on him, touching him. There's all around him. And Jesus all of a sudden stops in the crowd. Mark chapter 5. He says he stops. And he turns around and he says, who touched me? And his disciples almost take it like a joke. Like, everybody? I mean, like, Jesus, there's literally like 50 people around you that could have touched you. And he says, no, 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 no. Somebody touched me. And the tense of that word is not bumped into on accident. It is to grab hold of by intention. There's two words I want to show you. Proximity and intention. Some people are in close proximity to Jesus. But they never get touched and they never get healed. But there was one lady who touched him with intention and she was never the same. See, you can be around Jesus but not really touch him. Which means you can come to church all your life and never touch him. You can be around Christian culture and passionate culture all you want and never touch Jesus. You can grow up in Sunday school. You can quote the Bible frontwards and backwards. You can know all the right things to do and all the right things to say, but have never had a personal encounter with who he is because that personal encounter is not in your proximity. It is in your intention. That's why James says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. He says, I'm waiting for your intention. I'm waiting for the desperation of your heart to overcome the decency of your situation. I'm waiting for the desperation of your life to overcome overcome the decency of the crowd and the Bible says she made her way through the crowd and she grabbed the hem of Jesus' garment and the moment that she grabbed his garment the blood stopped and her body was healed and Jesus turned around and he said he knew that power had gone out from him. He knew it because Jesus always knows when someone touches him on purpose. Do you know what us on Sunday mornings, a lot of people that we have are just, honestly, they're, they're touching him by accident. It's just proximity, worship. But you know what a passionate culture is? A 
passionate culture is I want Jesus. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what I was raised in. I don't care what other people say. When you want him bad enough, you don't care what other people think. And if you don't know that, then just wait until you go through something bad enough. And then it doesn't matter. I don't care what anybody says. I'll lift my voice. I'll scream my head off. I'll jump and shout. I will. And then when Jesus comes through for you, watch how your worship changes. Some people judge people's worship, but they don't, they don't know what their story is. And if you knew their story, you'd be worshiping like they were worshiping. They're up there losing their minds, and you're like, wow. They, but if you knew that they were on drugs and they're about to lose their life, take their own life, and Jesus saved them, showed up to them, you might worship like that too. We just don't know where people are at. That's why in our church, in this passionate culture, we don't want to judge people. We want to say, come and be authentic. Come and love Jesus. Come and move past the crowd. I'm tired of crowded places. I'm tired of crowds that just want to be around Him. I'm tired of proximity worship. I'm tired of just being around the good thing. I want the good thing, and the good thing is a man, and his name is Jesus and he can be had and all it takes is a little bit of passion and a little bit of desperation and a little bit of intention and Jesus will stop in his tracks for you he might have been passing you by he might have been on his way to somewhere else and to someone else but when you reach out your hand he stopped he says he stopped he says this this is why I have to stop I have to stop like but now y'all are helping me so um, he says this First of all, he calls her woman, which never do that. When he starts the conversation, when he heals her, he calls her daughter. Watch that transformation. At first it was, but after the touch, it was a daughter. You know, your identity can change in a second. In a second. Pastor, I've been struggling with this for years. I know you're only one touch away. You've been thinking that the bump against Jesus and the proximity against Jesus is going to heal that unforgiveness. No, he's waiting on you. It's your choice. It's your move. It is your touch that is going to set you free. If the woman would have waited, she'd still be waiting. She would have died waiting. But because she moved, God touched her. And this is how I thought we should end tonight. And it's 829. We're supposed to, oh, just turned 830. Man, that was awesome. Um, we're going to dismiss, but we're going to just take some time and just make a move. And I want to challenge you just to make a move towards Jesus. We're going to open the altars, whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, this is deeper. We're going to pray for you, but I want you just to allow, maybe, maybe you're one of those people, you're like, you've never lifted your voice in church, you've never taken a step towards the Lord, you've never lifted your hands, that's okay. So no one's judging you here. You, you, just, you just do, you just ask the Lord just to help you make a move towards Him. Wherever it is, and maybe, honestly, maybe that move is just for you to sing along with the song tonight. Maybe that's, that's your first move. That's all right. Just make your move. He loves you so much. He didn't judge how the woman touched him or when she touched him or why she waited 12 years to find. She didn't, he didn't do it. He just said, thank you for finally doing it. Here you go. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.